You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Premier, Eric Scope, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to another edition of the pod, uh, bi week edition. Uh, last time we were on the show, we recapped, went through, and discussed the offensive side of the football through six games. Uh, it's now time to dive into the defensive side of the football. Um, guys, this is a group, just holistically here for a second before we look at each position group. Um, I think we should talk about this for a second. This is a group that going in we felt like was – the strength overall, you know, if you picked offense, defense, special teams, this is the one that we picked would, would be the best of the three. And there's certainly been games where they haven't been better than the offense. Some of that's because the offense is really freaking good and that makes it hard. And some other times the defense just hasn't been good. And so before we dive into each position group, let's talk this real quick. Are they where we expected them to be? Are they far from that? I don't. I think the answer is yes to both questions. We've seen games where they have played lights out. They've played really impressive football, but they've also played some opponents, and they played Georgia week one where it was bad. And then I think Washington State was a game in which they played good at times, very good late, but – they also couldn't get stops maybe in that first half. So I, I don't know how to view this team defensively as a whole unit yet. It, the story is still to be written, if you will. No, I, I think this has been a little bit disappointing. Um, the Georgia stats obviously are going to negatively impact the whole of this. But if you just look through where we are, we've got six games. It's a half a season sample size. Let me just run through where they rank in the Pac-12 in like major stats. Scoring defense, eighth. Touchdowns allowed, ninth. Team defense, that's like total defense uh, of yards allowed, seventh. Yards per play, ninth. Third down, conversion defense, 11th. They're actually like fifth worst in the country there. Red zone uh, defense, ninth. Uh, Red zone touchdown, conversion defense, ninth. Uh, Turnovers gained, sixth. Sacks, fifth. Tackles for loss, fourth. Um, and then plays over 40 yards, explosive plays fourth. So a couple of areas they're decent at. And, you know, I didn't get into the run defense, which I want to talk to when we talk D-line because that's actually been really good. But for the 
totality of it. I mean, the pass defense, which, as you'd imagine, if the total defensive stats are bad and the run defense is good, pass defense has not been good. Um, it, it's probably not where we thought it would be. And, and I'll get to, you know, I want to get into some of the specific position groups to kind of talk about the whys to that. But I, I agree. I think it hasn't been quite there. I think you've been encouraged, though, the last two weeks in particular. I thought they played really, really well, um, and if not for some late scores tacked on by second-team offenses or offenses going against second-team Oregon defenses, you'd be looking at games with even a little bit more impressive showings. Like you think about Stanford and Washington State, or sorry, Stanford and Arizona, both scored uh, you know, like nine to ten points against basically the reserves in mop-up duty, and that kind of you know sways some of the stats, but. I'm in agreement. I think all in all, it's been a little disappointing. Uh, not to the point where I think they can't win a lot of games and contend for the biggest of you know, goals of the season that they have, but it certainly isn't quite what I expected. I think when you hear a coach like Dan Lanning come in and then you look at where all the five stars and the rosters you know, are located and it's on the side of the ball. I think it's been disappointing, yeah, but I also think that they've played pretty well the last five games i think the outlier is georgia and it was so dramatically just terrible that all the stats are, are skewed and we'll, we'll kind of go over that with the pff stuff but that game was such a, a bludgeoning to oregon's defense that yeah. I, I think that still impacts where they sit as a universal standard um today and i think that oregon also got kind of got unlucky with facing washington state as their first non-conference or their first conference game um, in their first away game, that's, you know, I know Georgia was away, but technically it was a neutral site. Um, I, that's a really good offense. They're going to put, they're going to put points up on most people. USC's defense had a good day against them, but, um, you know, that you, you take away the pick six in that game and it becomes a different story. Um, I, I think that this defense is good. I think that it's probably not where we all anticipated it to be, but yeah. like Eric just mentioned, you know, I, you know, you bring in Dan Lanning, you bring in these these high, these better known names like Tosh Lupoy on the defensive side of the ball. You think, okay, well, you know, at least there's some you know former defensive coordinators here on the defensive side of the ball. Like they'll have that locked up. Like Oregon's defense had been good-ish for the last couple of years, but this seems to be. I think that the issues with Oregon's defense this season have been the issues with Oregon's defense in the last few seasons. So I think this is more of like a roster structure standpoint of, of why or, or what these weaknesses are to a to a certain degree um uh, not having an elite pass rusher doesn't help like they did last year but um I, I think this defense can continue to get better i think eric brings up a great point about how multiple teams have scored towards the end of the games against a second team defense or like second team plus third team defense like against stanford and arizona but yep. you look at those scores you take them away Certainly the scoring average is down. Certainly the yards per game is down for this defense. Um, I like them. I like where they have come from because it really didn't look great in the first two or three weeks. I think BYU might have been a turning point, and they kind of go backwards against Washington State. But I, I think the last two weeks show showcase what this defense is, and that's at points it can be really good, but they just haven't played a full game yet where they're this lockdown type of defense where you can rely on them every down. Let's go to the defensive line here. Um, this was probably the strength or, I don't know. They were supposed to be good. 
Yeah, I think we thought the linebackers were going to be the strength, though. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we said coming in. Yeah. I, I felt like linebackers were probably the more popular pick because they had the two best players of the unit. I think my opinion of the defensive line was they were probably the deeper group uh, of, the, of the two. Um, and it's splitting hairs here, but because right. they're both really good. Dorless has been, I think, what we expected. Um, he's in the top 10 on the team in tackles with 18. He leads the team in tackles for tackles for loss with five and a half for 17 yards loss. Uh, he's second on the team in sacks. I'm not quite sure if we want to consider DJ Johnson a, a defensive end or an outside linebacker. He's technically listed as an edge. That's what makes things complicated here. Um, so let's, for transparency, say let's include him with this group. Okay. He's in the top six defensively for tackles with 20. He's got five tackles for loss for 25 yards. Um, and then he leads the team in sacks with four. Dorless and um, – DJ are both in the top 10 in the Pac-12 for tackles for loss. Um, I I think they're probably living up to the standard here. Um, What's maybe been the surprise, and it's probably a good surprise, because Oregon's defense, they stop the run. And you, you cannot run on this unit. It's hard to do. They rank in the top 20 nationally in rushing defense. Um, Their average per carry is, is solid. And I think it's because we've seen the emergence of Jordan Riley. We've seen the emergence of Casey Rogers, two guys that, frankly, I don't know if any of us really expected them to be starters this season. We probably thought they'd be rotational guys, but they've put themselves into the starting lineup and played a lot and look really good doing it. Yeah, the rush defense is where you that's the strength of the defense right now. Um, yeah. First in the conference, as you as you kind of alluded to there, <clears throat> in yards per game, under 100, which is just a great number. Um, they, you know, they, they have allowed two rushes over 40 yards. Those both just happened against Arizona. That was a stat that was, I think, really impressive before the Arizona game was they hadn't allowed any big runs. And, of course, Arizona of all teams is the one right. to do it. It was kind of a level of irony there. And I think both cases you're – loading up for the pass and probably not in defenses where you expect them to run a draw play. And, and they did and, and busted a couple big ones, but I've been really impressed there. And yeah, you know, I think um, I remember when Riley was announced as a transfer, I was like, why would they do this? Just because it yeah. felt like they had so many bodies here. We should note Popo hasn't played a snap all season. I was a guy we, we thought they were counting on to play a huge role. And yet this group, I He'd think started. This group has been, I think, the strength of the defense. And, um, you know, and, and, but, you know, the thing with Riley and Rodgers is that, you know, I talked to somebody in the summer and it was, I think people are kind of similar to the Whittington Bucky thing. It was kind of like, I think people are kind of sleeping on these guys. These guys might have pretty big roles. And obviously that was something that's come true. And uh, both of them have started every game this season. You know, we get to snap counts in a moment here with the PFF thing because I think it's actually really even snap counts between these kind of interior guys when you look at Riley, Rogers, um, uh, Ware Hudson, Taki, those guys. I think they've all played pretty similar number of snaps in, in totality. Actually, I don't, I couldn't even tell you with any confidence who's played the most amongst those four. I think it's that close. Um, but regardless, they've done really, really well. And I think I've also just felt 
a little better about the pass rush from this group the last couple of weeks. I think that's kind of stepped yeah. up. I thought that was, you know, an improved area, especially, um, you know, the last two weeks. So, no, I think, you know, it's funny because I, I think without question, this has been, to me, the best group so far. And I don't know if I expected that coming in. Um, and we'll get to linebackers in a second. And I don't want to get too far into it, but I think that's been the most disappointing group, which is you know, surprising to me. So anyway, but um, Jared, what's PFF say about the defensive line? Uh, what do you want to know first? I was going to go with the snap counts. Yeah, right, so right, you guys know. Right, right, um, yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to include obviously DJ Johnson and, and Dorless, who's considered an edge rusher on PFF. Um, Dorless is the leading snap getter at 267. Bennett Williams is the leader on defense as a team at 343. So a pretty big difference, but they're playing dif different positions. So you have Dorless, then DJ Johnson, Casey Rogers, Mace, Keon Ware Hudson, Taki Taimani. And then Jordan Riley round up that that group that core six whatever I just named off the top and of my head. How close are like guys three through six? Uh, let's see, Riley Riley's in last place or in terms of snap counts. So he's at one thirty one, and then Dorless is at two sixty seven. But he's pretty close to Taki Taki and Keon Ware Hudson around like one sixty. So it's only like a thirty snap differential between those guys. Um, I think it's it's pretty clear that that. Dorless is the best overall defensive yeah. lineman. Um, DJ Johnson actually has the best rush defense uh, grade on the team at 80.3, um, followed by uh, Jordan Riley. So that's the, that's your guy. I mean, I watched a bunch of those those Dan Lanning coaching tutorials on YouTube, which I don't know. Um, maybe I'll post in the comments section below, but they're on there. You just got to go find them. And, you know, he talks a lot about how he likes his defensive line to have those two big guys clogging up the middle to take away the rush defense. And that's exactly what Rodgers and Riley do, the Nebraska transfers. And I think this group overall as a whole, I thought we thought I thought we think bleh, I can't speak right now. I thought coming into the season, we thought that this was a deep group. But when Popo Amalai goes down, it's kind of like, all right, well. That's a guy you could have relied on, who's had experience, who's produced, you know, who's going to come in now. And I think Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley, that combination, Keon Ware Hudson have all been really good. Taki Taimani has been in there as well. I think Eric and I, we thought that Taki was going to start in uh, spring camp. And he's the sometimes, the, the, you know, like the third defensive lineman off the bench at this point. But I think they're all quality players and like they can all do their job well. Um, but like you guys mentioned, pass rush has been was an issue and now is becoming to be less of an issue. Um, Braden Swinson actually leads the team with a pass rush grade or the defensive line group at a 71.0. Bennett Williams is actually the leading pass rusher. So, you know, take from that what you will. Um, followed by Brandon Dorless, Mace Buna, DJ Johnson, uh, Noah Sewell. Um, no one's an elite pass rusher on this team. I think we all could have told anybody that with our own naked eyes, but it, it backs up in, in the PFF grades. Um, good to see DJ Johnson up at the top, though, because that's who we, I would say, assessed as the best pass rusher on this on this group. Um, he's got four sacks this season in six games, so he's probably one of the better ones on the team. I'm curious about Swinson. That's a guy we all thought would take a huge jump this season um what's his snap count jared because it it looks the numbers are are when you look at it the numbers aren't very good from 
a production standpoint for him. Um, he's only got like I'm trying to find him. He has to scroll down here on on the roster yeah. to find him. He's only got six tackles. Yeah, but like you said, he's got one and a half tackles for loss for th- a loss of three yards. But I feel like his totals are down from a snap count, but his production is there. It's just he just doesn't get a lot of opportunities for whatever reason. Yeah, his his snap count right now is 92 on the season, which um, I could quickly figure out where that ranks on the team. 21st on the team in between J.J. Greenfield and Dante Manning. Um, yeah, he's been kind of – he's been more pass-heavy on what types of down he plays on, 46 to 32. Um, I, I just think – He's a guy that we've we've been hoping that he produces at a high level for the last two years, especially considering you know when Kayvon Thibodeau goes out last year. Um, this year they clearly need a pass rusher. Um, Swinson has that athletic build and that ability to to bend at points, but again, this it doesn't seem like he fits the prototypical pass rushing mold that I think Dan Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoi and their defense would like to see. Um, that kind of explains why he gets some of the least amount of reps as an edge guy. I mean, he only has 40 more reps than Keanu Williams and, right. you know, no zero disrespect to Keanu. I, I like him. I like his physique as a player, but you know, he's, he's down on the depth charts because he's got to go behind Rogers and Riley and all these guys that we just mentioned. So um, Braden, I think can get to that level. We just haven't seen it. And I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, that's one of the few guys I, I mentioned a conversation I had with somebody who was close to the program and some of the people that they were really high on. Swinson was a guy that this person was also really, really high on. And and to this point in the season, he's been pretty limited in terms of his role. Like, I of those snaps, I'm curious. I know you can't do this, Jared, obviously, because I don't think it's broken down this way. But I, I don't feel like of those 90 or so snaps, many of those have come in like the first three quarters of games where it's competitive. I think a lot of those yeah. have come in kind of kind of uh, mop-up duty time, you know. Um, so I, yeah. I feel like that's a player who's further down the depth chart than, than we had expected probably. Because I think we came in thinking he and Mace were the two that were kind of maybe splitting right. times. And, and I think maybe, maybe we even had, oh, maybe Mace is ahead of Braden or Braden's ahead of Mace. And I think that's clearly not been the case at all this year. One final note, we should we'll learn a lot about this defense in the next couple of weeks because through six games, the opponents that they've played are, have not been very successful at running the football. Stanford ranks 90th in the country in rushing yards per game. Uh, Arizona is 94th in the country in rushing. Uh, and then you you scroll down a ways and you will find um, – Oregon plays Washington State, which was their fourth game of the season. They're in uh, 118th in the country. It's just they don't run the football all that often. And then you throw in Eastern Washington, which was an FCS opponent. So I, I'm not, I don't doubt that Oregon's run defense is, is good. It's just they haven't played some of these better rushing teams um, coming up and on you know this season so far. Coming up, that's going to change. UCLA is there. Um, you, you're going to have Utah on the schedule. Oregon State is another one. Cal that performs well. Cal is a good one. Um, so we'll, we'll learn a lot about that defensive line and their ability to stop the run here uh, quickly. All right, linebackers. Eric said, you, I, "I'm curious to hear this." You, you said that they've been disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the production certainly is interesting. I think we all kind of felt like, hey, Sewell will lead the team in tackles, or if it's not Sewell, it's Justin Flo. That's what I predicted, that that Flo would lead the team in tackles, but Sewell would be right behind him. Uh, neither one of those guys are in the top three for total tackles. Now, Sewell's one tackle short of that accomplishment. Um, but Dan has said he's not a stats guy, and Sewell and Flo's stats – are solid, but not what we would have expected the two best linebackers in program history from a recruiting standpoint to be producing in their third years of college football. Sewell has 24 total tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, one sack. Uh, he does have a quarterback hurry, a forced fumble. Justin Flo has played in just four games. He's missed two because of injury. He's been limited in one of those four where he played like 15 snaps, I think, against Washington State. He's Fifth on the team in tackles with 23, two tackles for loss. It's actually Jeff Bossa, or Jeffrey Bossa, who at the linebacker position leads the unit in tackles with 27, and he's second on the team in tackles. It, it's certainly one that the talent is there, but from a statistical standpoint at least, they're maybe not doing what we expected them to do, which I don't know is, is by design because Dan has said multiple times – when asked about Sewell, like he doesn't care about stats. You know, he knows Sewell's a good football player. So they're seeing something that's translating well uh, on film and in the games that they're not worried about his stat production. It's just a weird one for me because I, <clears throat> the stats are kind of lacking as you ran through. They play a lot of guys. When we, when, when we turn it over to Jared, I, the snap counts I think will be pretty telling in terms of there's three guys in Bassa. Sewell and Flo, who I think we all know play a lot, but also the Duke and Keith Brown play quite a bit, just as, a, as kind of five guys that play a fair amount of snaps. But, you know, and I, and I think the other thing we have to be – Flo's definitely dealt with injuries. It's pretty mm -hmm. clear when you watch him run against Arizona. There were two instances that really stood out. There was one where he came off the edge unblocked and Dolores scrambled. And he, he does – he's not running comfortably. It's, it looks no. strained. You know, it looks like somebody who has an injury running. And then there was the other one on the 55-yard touchdown or whatever, 50-yard touchdown or whatever it was for, for DJ Williams for Arizona where, you know, honestly, Sewell and Flo, I think, kind of – they're both out of position. They both kind of washed themselves out. And yeah. Flo tried to, to, to rally and, and, and run after Williams and just watch his, watch his strides. Watch the way he's moving there. It doesn't look fluid. It doesn't look comfortable, um, you know. So – I, I think there's clearly some inju injury stuff going on there. And with Sewell, like I'd still remember watching him. Remember, remember him like limping around in Pullman, even limping around mm -hmm. to go celebrate with the fans after the game. Like I, I think clearly both those guys are dealing with some stuff and it, it shows up. They don't look very fast, like period. Like they don't look explosive. Um, when they get their hands on people, it's crazy. I mean, the, both those guys are just throwing players around in, in ways that you don't see at this level very often, especially against other you know, Power 5 football players. Um, but some of the speed stuff is discouraging, and some of the in-space, like, like I said, if they get their hands on you, it's over. But there are, these guys aren't the most reliable tacklers this year either. Mm -hmm. They've missed quite a bit in space. Um, you know, I think that's been one of the things that stood out to me about Georgia and even a little bit against Washington State was I think they kind of targeted these guys in screen routes, you know, uh, and and in and kind of underneath stuff where you get a slot guy or just a really shifty player, maybe a running back in space, and they've been able to kind of move around these players and get upfield. So 
I, I think it's been a little bit under, not a little bit, I think it's been pretty darn underwhelming, to be honest. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, this is this has been long awaited. These two players as, this is your third year in the program. Flo's barely played because of injury coming in. Sewell's been, you know, all-conference, kind of an all-American caliber guy. And I think through the first half of the season, it hasn't kind of lived up to the expectation. You know, part of, I think, and I think a big part's been injury. I want to make that clear. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 it's obvious to me they're both working through some stuff, and hopefully they come out of these two, um, you know, this, this bye week and then an extra week before UCLA healthy because they're going to need them against UCLA. But I don't think those two have played their best football, and, and I think Jeff Boss has stepped up and played admirably, but to me it's pretty obvious that there are certain situations where he's not – that aren't advantageous for his skill set and his body type. Like he's gotten run over several times. He's not been able to finish tackles several times in space. Um, I still like him a lot as a player and think he'll be a really you know a, a big contributor over the course of his career at Oregon, but – you know the fact that he's your leading tackler at linebacker, I think, says a lot about the way this has played out. So, um, and I know also know Jared because I've looked at the PFF grades before you run into it. Some of the PFF stuff for Sewell and Flow is really, really not not encouraging at all. No, it is not encouraging. Um, this is the, the so the issue. I'll start by saying with PFF is uh, maybe this isn't an issue, but it's a cumulative score of the entire season, right? And that takes into account the, the performance against Georgia, which Oregon had their worst defensive game of the season by leaps and bounds. It wasn't even close in terms of grades and then just the visual eye test. So some of these stats are skewed, but I do think it gives a general idea of how this linebacking group is performing. And I think that, you know, even without the grades, this is kind of the conclusions that we would, you know, that we would come up with like that. You know, Jeffrey Boss said his tackle grade is a 38. Jackson LeDuc's tackle grade is a 28. Um, they have Bossa here listed as nine missed tackles. Duke has five missed tackles. Flow for just uh, Noah Sewell at five. Those are things that we see in the games, that these are a lot of tackle opportunities, obviously because they're linebackers, but there's a lot of misses as well. And in terms of the snap counts, Flow and, or excuse me, Sewell and Bassa are tied at 269 snaps. Um, Justin Flow has only played in four games, 103 total snaps. Jackson the Duke's played in five games, 106 total snaps. And Keith Brown at 72 total snaps. So it's that it's that group of people right there. Those those five players are playing the most. Um, Michael Roth has gotten into three games, which is nice. 14 total snaps. I like to see that. But walk on love. Walk on Love, and then Harrison Taggart and uh, Devin Jackson. But overall, the position groups, the highest grade of guys who really play, and I'm not counting Keith Brown's 72 snaps, is Noah Sewell, but his grade is a 58.4. Here's everybody else's. Jeffrey Boss is a 55.7. Justin Flo is a 51.5. And then Jackson LaDuke is a 38.3. Um, <sighs> total his season defensive grade so again i like leduc i came into the season saying that i like leduc i think that his grade reflection is largely because of what happened at georgia um, yeah. and i think a lot of these guys grades would probably be a bit higher if that georgia game didn't happen and you could say that as a whole for the defense in terms of their overall grades like as, as a team this season Oregon's defensive grade is in like 
the mid 70s, the low 70s, something like that. I did the math. And if you take out that game against Georgia, their, their defense rises up to 82 overall, which is much better. It's clearly just much better. Um, however, that being said, to quote Dan Lanning, um, these, are, these are real issues. This is a linebacking core that doesn't tackle well, that doesn't cover players well, doesn't jump out in the coverage well, that has a lot of issues going perimeter-wise east to west and covering the boundaries. And these are things that don't – that I don't know, that probably just don't change during the middle of the season. I think they've gotten better with reps and everything like that. But these are more like physical issues that, that just right. – that and some of these guys like like Eric was saying, Sewell and, 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 and Flo were both – seemingly had injuries earlier in the year, but just going east to west and that acceleration, that lateral quickness, you could work on that, but sometimes that just is with a player or is not with a player. And I think that hasn't been with some of these guys. Can I ask one thing before we move on? Um, Absolutely. Sewell, you said, was the highest rated. Where is he amongst all defensive players? Ooh, good question. He is 29th on the team. Granted, that takes into account players who have Nine total snaps or six total snaps. My, my my point is, PFF thinks Oregon's linebackers are not good collectively. Like yes. they they think it's clearly the weakness on this defense, and I tend to agree. I don't know if I think it's quite as bad as they suggest. I'm also, no. you know, but you know, we'll get to a moment. The best group they think is the defensive backs, which I think would mm-hmm. surprise a lot of people. And you, you look at the past defensive stats and you're probably like, that seems r- ridiculous. But then I think you also have to realize, I guess maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but you know, a lot of the early success on passing downs was short underneath stuff where I thought linebackers just got kind of embarrassed in space. So, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a concern, especially going against some of these uh, upcoming opponents. UCLA is going to be a really tough test for, for this group. All right, let's make that segue like Eric just talked about to the defensive backs. Um, it's a unit that there is certainly some elite talent on this team. Um, starting with Bennett Williams at safety, he leads the team in tackles. Um, he leads the team in forced fumbles. He's got three pass breakups, which is second on the team. Um, he has a sack now on the season. Uh, he is playing at a level that we saw pre-injury last year in the first couple of games. He's he's playing really, really good football. Christian Gonzalez has clearly shown that he is a elite lockdown cornerback. Um, he is one of the best corners in the country in the in the conference. He's tied with about five other guys in the league for passes defended this season at six. Pass is broken up. He is currently tied for first in the conference at five. Um, now, collectively as a unit, the defense backfield has given up a lot of yards. They're 114th in the country in pass defense. Uh, in the conference, they're dead last in, in passing yards allowed. Now, some of this is understandable because Oregon gets out to big leads like they did against Eastern Washington. Uh, like they did against BYU, like they did against Stanford, and then most recently like they did against Arizona. That's forced teams to throw the football more. That's allowed Oregon to maybe be a little bit 
more relaxed later in games, which have allowed yards. The Georgia game was a concern. They gave up a ton of passing yards. There was a ton of yards after catch in that game. Um, that is also skewing this game, and, and you have to make note of that. Now, on the yards per attempt stat, Oregon is in the middle of the road. So teams are – they are making improvements here. That's what we've talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, they were b- very bad overall across the board in all their statistics. But one that's important here to note is for every attempt opponents are throwing on Oregon's defense, the yards are you know that they're gaining are going down. And it's now currently at 7.2. Uh, it's seventh in the conference. It's it's a unit where we had questions. Who's going to be the opposite cornerback next to Christian Gonzalez? It's Triquez Bridges. He's had some really bad moments, and he's starting to have some really good moments. Dante Manning was one of those guys that was supposed to contend for a starting job with Bridges. Um, I think he's maybe kind of turned things around a little bit the last couple of weeks. And now we're starting to see Jaleel Florence um, emerge a little bit as well. But nonetheless, I think every week you go into this outside of probably Colorado and just say, yeah, this is going to be a question. If you know How, how is this unit going to perform? If they perform bad, it could be a shootout. If they perform good, they, they could be really, really good defensively this week. Well, I think the thing that's been encouraging is the last two games, we both said, oh boy, this is going to be big challenges. Stanford has yeah. all these big receivers on the outside. We probably all like Tanner McKee's potential more than what he is at this point. I hate to say it because I'm still on the McKee's good bandwagon, but it's hard to stay there just because he's kind of struggled. Um, and then this last week against Arizona, we were so, in, you know, I think just kind of um, maybe almost too caught up in the issues that that could pose of these extremely talented receivers and posted crazy stats and Dolores, this gunslinger we've seen play. And yet the last two games, you know, it's been really good in my opinion against the past 205 yards against Stanford. A lot of those came late 241 yards against Arizona. A lot of those came late. Um, I think this unit's improved. Um, And these are two teams in back-to-back weeks, Stanford and Arizona, that again are test trying to test them vertically. And that's the area that I think we were, for some reason concerned about when I think the real concern is just teams that go underneath, which is what Washington state did, which is what uh, yeah. Georgia, Georgia did, especially BYU was kind of in between the two BYU is, I think the reason we had some concerns about some of the vertical stuff, because bridges did get beat a couple times there down the field. But I thought they'd held up really well the last two weeks, to be honest with you. Like I, I, I was, you know, I, I, I was really encouraged honestly by how they played against Arizona. You know, we we talked about how this game could be a shootout. We were all nervous about it, and they didn't let much come over the top. They had the one to cowing early, and then they had another one, I think, in the third quarter when the game was basically decided. And other than that, they forced everything underneath, and they were pretty sure tackling. So, I think this group's improving. I think to me, you know, I, I feel much better about the secondary than I do about the linebackers. Um, I think Christian Gonzalez is positioning himself to be an all-conference caliber player. I think Bennett Williams, you can say the same thing. Uh, we haven't mentioned Jamal Hill's name. I think he's been pretty solid. Uh, Brian Addison's had some nice moments. Uh, and I think even Bridges and, and Manning and, and Florence have, you know, they've, they've taken lumps. There's no question about it. Bridges got beat really bad over the top by Cowing on like the fifth play of some scrimmage. But after that, I can't think of too many moments where he was out of position or didn't play well. So I think collectively this group's actually been 
the last couple of weeks, I think it's been really encouraging. Um, I still think the defensive line is undoubtedly the strength here, but I would say the secondary has been, I would say, significantly better than the linebackers this year. And I think PFF agrees. I think they do as well. Um, I, I like the point, Eric, where you mentioned that, you know, these the cornerbacks, it doesn't seem like are getting beat over the top that often. And it happened against, you know, Arizona this past week once or twice. But overall, it's been in that middle ground of the short passes, screens, something like that. And that's more of a linebacker responsibility, which brings us back to our previous conversation. Um, and PFF does agree with our, our kind of basic assessment of, of how the defense lines up in terms of the overall grades. I mean, Manning, Gonzalez, and Triquist Bridges all have, all have grades in the upper 60s. Um, I know that doesn't sound great, but the best defensive player on Oregon's team or the best defensive grade is actually uh, Damon David at 73.3 in his two total games, his 30 total snaps. Um, after that is Brian Addison at 72.6 and 134 snaps, and then Mace Foon at 72. So that high 60s range is about where a majority of the secondary is. It's the above average half of the of the team. And you look at the linebackers where the best grade total by Sewell is in the mid-50s. It's a big difference. Um, the best coverage guy here on the team is clearly Christian Gonzalez in the secondary. Mace Funa actually has an astounding 80.7 coverage grade, but that's only because he's been in coverage. Six. Yeah, the, the pick six and the like the eight times that he was targeted against uh, BYU. Um, so that's always fun to look at. But Gonzalez, uh, followed by Addison, Jamal Hill, and then Triquist Bridges um, have been your top um, coverage grades on the team. Dante Manning is right below Bridges as well. Um, I think it's I think it's important to remember that in college football and the NFL, it's really hard to have two lockdown corners. You were very rarely blessed with two lockdown corners, and I think that you know that that 2019 Oregon team with Demo and Thomas Graham, then you had Michael Wright off the bench as your third corner, who was going to turn into a number one corner. Um, I think a lot of people forget that that doesn't happen often. That that secondary is one of the best in the country at the time. Um, Going to be one of the better secondaries to probably ever roll through Oregon, considering. Every single one of those guys were or are in the NFL right now. Um, I think that this group is turning turning around. I think that they're playing a lot better. Um, Bridges had a good night against Arizona. I know he got beat early, but again, like Eric mentioned, they they stopped that. They there was a good portion of the of the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half where Arizona was not moving the ball. In fact, you know Arizona has two turnovers on their first two drives out of the second half. Um, I think that this group is is solid. I think that the third cornerback behind Bridges is now a real competition between Florence and Manning. Um, I was pleased with Florence's play against against Arizona on Saturday. I think I think he's got some stuff. I think that because he's playing this early into the season, he's clearly a talented individual and can certainly see more playing time over the course of the season. Um, I just also wish that Dante Manning hadn't gotten a targeting quote unquote penalty in that, in that first half. Cause I thought he was playing well. In this season. Okay. Look at this past defensive log for Oregon. Um, 11.9 yards attempt against Georgia. Georgia threw for 439 yards. They completed 81.1% of their passes, three touchdowns. I think 
their quarterbacks combined had a QBR rating of 207.51. Um, that that game is giving some PTSD here, I think, on what's happening for Oregon in the secondary. Because go and look at the rest of the games. And let's throw out Eastern Washington. It, it doesn't matter. It's an FCS game. That number dropped 11% from a completion percentage standpoint against BYU down to 70% completion. That's still not great, 305 yards. But their yards per attempt dropped way down. It went from 11.9 to 7.4. The QBR rating went from 207 to 149. And it gets lower every single week outside of the completion percentage. The last two games, like Eric said, we were expecting Oregon's DBs to play against two of the better or tougher matchups from a passing perspective in the conference, Stanford and Arizona. Stanford completed 57% of its passes, averaged just 5.4 yards per attempt. And had a QB rating of 129. And then Jaden Delora last week against Arizona, 57% completion percentage, 5.7 yards per attempt, one interception, one touchdown, a QBR rating of 108. So, yes, it is getting better. And it's it's taking big chunks, too. And we're going to see what happens here in the next couple of weeks when they play some of the league's better quarterbacks. You know, DTR steps up in a week or so. from UCLA here in Austin, but like you guys just ran through the data is showing that they're getting better. It's just, I think we're so stuck on what happened maybe the first two or three weeks of the season that we're maybe not looking up at the bigger picture and seeing the improvement. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's where I'm at at this point. I'm with you, Matt. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We'll give out some more defensive player awards coming up here on the show. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Premier, Scopal, Jared Mack on the show. And guys, I'll be honest. We're going to go freshman, sixth man, and then This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Sixth, twelfth man, and then uh, the MVP. The freshman one. I'm having a hard time with. I was having a hard time. I, I'm, I'm going to go Florence, but unless I'm like 
drastically missing somebody here that's just way over my head. I just don't – there hasn't been a freshman out there on defense. And I don't think it's because there, there isn't one that's good. It's just the defense has got a lot of veteran guys on the squad that have really stood out to me as a freshman. I mean, maybe if we include Justin Flo as, what, his redshirt freshman, which no. would be stupid. No. Um, third, third year freshman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Thanks. So I, I'm going I'm going with Jalil Florence. He's starting to get better, but this is one where I, I'm not trying to downgrade him, but at the same time, there really hasn't been a, any freshman that's been just standout in my eyes. No, and that's that's yeah. the thing that you note across the board on both sides of the football is there aren't true freshmen that are playing huge snaps for the most part. Like Jordan James is your on offense. We talk, he was our fresh, I think he was our consensus true freshman on offense. He's like basically playing short yardage, and Josh Connerly comes in in a specific package, and then Florence is your third, maybe fourth corner right now. That's kind of the true freshmen that are. Those are the only guys, by the way, who've reached the the limit to avoid redshirt years. So I mean, there's only three guys there, and, and we talked about it on a previous podcast. I don't know how many other guys get there. So yeah, it's Florence. He's the only one who really qualifies. He's the only one that I think has really played actual snaps and meaningful moments on defense as a true freshman. And I think it's been up and down. He's gotten called for last game, two penalties. Um, and in general, probably, I think, as Dan has said, has been a little bit too handsy. I think it was the term Dan's now used yeah. a couple of times. Um, but certainly a player to be encouraged by. And, and if there if there is, and then he's the only real candidate for this award, not to, to make it sound like he's been bad or something, but I did, there's not really like you could go any other direction here. No, this is, this is literally like the only person you can pick here. And I think this would have been a lot harder of a pick had uh, Dante Manning not been ejected for targeting because yes. Florence only – I mean, I, I think he gets into the game. Don't get me wrong. I think he's talented and all that good stuff. But he really gets into the game and really plays as soon as Manning goes down because then you lose your your fourth cor- – or your third corner and then you have to bring in your fourth corner. Um, yeah, I mean, I just – I went through this the snap count on this and it's – just not even close. Uh, Florence has, where is he? He's got 138 total snaps. And the next true freshman that sees any playing time is uh, Kamari Terrell. And he's played three games for 34 snaps. So it's a pretty big difference in terms of true freshmen who are playing. Um, yeah, it's Florence and, and there's uh, there's no other answer here, I truly believe. I think, I think Terrell's played four games. I think PFF's wrong. That's fine. I mean, again, I, I gave out the disclaimer that this might not be 100% accurate here. Not a big deal. I just wanted to just wanted to say that. I think he's at the limit right now. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I was going to move on to <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> the, the 12th man, if you will. Uh, Texas a and fans don't get upset. Um, this I'm is sure, another sure hard one. Listening. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is a hard one. I want to say Bossa, but he started the last three games. So is it kind of cheating if you count a guy that started half the season so uh, i'm going to eliminate jeff bossa from the consideration here and i i think i'm going to land with um trevin maai i think this is just a guy that we really haven't expected a lot out of him the last couple of years and every single season he does a little bit more does a little bit more and this year six games played uh, he's got two tackles for loss on the year already. He's got a sack on the season. He's got a, a pass breakup as well. Uh, 
he's starting to just every year you get a little bit more from him and it's six games in, but I feel like, Hey, if Trevin, my is, is a starter for Oregon next season, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. He's play. He's starting to play a lot. He's going to be experienced next season. And you know, you hope that he continues the trend that he's done the first half of the year and the second half. So I, I'm going Trevin, my but I think there's a couple other guys that you could pick here. That's one of my guys, man. I, I, and I was he, he I wasn't going to pick Trevin, but I'm just happy to hear him get some love. And towards the next year part, um, he has a really good chance of starting. He's Dorless's backup, and I think we all expect yeah. Dorless to to be gone. To go. So no, I, I I think he's a player to watch uh, up front who's actually been pretty darn productive when he's out there. Um, yeah, I think it's Brian Addison for me. But it was notable that um, I believe he's PFF's highest rated defensive player who actually plays decent snaps based upon what Jared said earlier because um, he's right. I mean, if yeah. we're not counting, da- I'm not counting Damon David and his mop-up duty moments really no yeah so i i think he's been somebody who like i think the thing for me is is it's a couple things it's kind of like he comes off the bench he doesn't start he plays quite a bit and he's a guy who i think we had a lot of uncertainty based upon the last couple of seasons about kind of what his role is a guy who used to play receiver he came over and filled in quite a bit last year when steve stevens went down kind of mixed i think had some kind of ugly moments especially against colorado um and I think he's played really well this year. I know he led the team in tackles against Stanford. We should note he didn't play against Arizona. Um, so kind of lacking some clarity on the reason behind that. But I, I, I think Addison's played pretty darn well. And, and Oregon does rotate, like they do at all positions, quite a bit on the back end. But he's somebody who, yeah. when he gets out there, I think has been pretty effective. Yeah, and this was a this is a strange one for me because it's like, does Justin Flo count? Because he's come off the bench the last couple of games. Um, and there's, and in terms of who starts and who doesn't start for Oregon, it's all like matchup depending and they start three cornerbacks last week. So that it was a very strange one, but I, I went with BA as well. Um, it was between him or Keon Ware Hudson. Um, I just think both of them have been, have been good off the bench and have provided some spark, but I think that Brian Addison has played just better. Um, I think that he would have, like I predicted against Arizona, I thought he would have had a good game against those guys because he plays a majority, like over half of his snaps at the free safety position. He's long, he's lanky. Like Eric went through, he's an athletic guy. He's six foot five and can really cover ground back there. I thought he would have been like the perfect free safety to play against Arizona and taking their deep shots. Um, but he's been a lot better this season. He's, you know, he he practiced with the first team all spring. He's been in and out of the of the number one defense during the season. Him and Steve Stevens have been kind of splitting the reps. I think Steve's been getting more, but you know, all of those guys in the safety room can all play all the safety positions. And, but I think BA might be the best free safety out there, but um, I think it's all matchup dependent. Um, Good tackler, all that good stuff. I just, this is a a tough choice, but I think BA is probably it. You could, you could sell me on another guy or two though. All right. Last one MVP. Um, I don't think he's the best player on the team, but I think he's the most, it's most valuable. And that's, I'm going to go, uh, Christian Gonzalez here. Mm-hmm. And when I say not the best player, I mean, that's really splitting hairs because he's a first round draft pick, but I'm going Gonzalez because he matches up every week against 
the opponent's top receiver for the most part. They've now put him in the slot, which I which I loved to do uh, when they when they did that against Arizona. He performed well there, um, and he plays at a position where there's a lot of pressure because there's not a lot of bodies at that spot. So if he has a bad day, that makes everyone else behind him have to play at an incredibly high level. And I just they're getting better at that at that unit. I just have more faith that if their top guy at the D line or at linebacker, someone, you know, there's other guys there that can step up and make up for that lost ground. Um, so I'm going Christian Gonzalez. I, I think he's as good as advertised. I had just a little bit of faint of like, is he really this good? Like when the preseason hype was coming out and the games hadn't been played yet and you, you wanted to believe it, but he played on a really terrible Colorado team. And sometimes you just are kind of like, is this guy really that good from that crappy of a program? Turns out, yeah, yeah, he's that good. Uh, so I'm going Christian Gonzalez at cornerback. These awards are – this one's way harder than the offensive MVP where we were just like, yeah, it's Bo. Yeah, there's yeah. there's several guys that you could choose from here. Um, I'll go Brandon Dorless. You know, and I'm not like super sold on it. Like I think Christian's a great pick. I think Bennett Williams is a good pick. I think you could probably argue DJ um, has played well too. I just think Oregon's run defense has been really fantastic this year, and I think Dorless has been a pretty key part in that. I think of some of the plays he's made on rundowns. Um, certainly not perfect as a player. Certainly has flaws. Certainly has missed some plays. But um, when the team has needed him, I think he's stepped up. I think he's been an improved run defensive player because you think about the previous parts of his career, and it was you looked at him and it's kind of like an interior pass rushing specialist not specialist and not that like he couldn't do anything else but like that was kind of what his strength was but i think he stepped up and run down so i'll go doorless i i think it's it's tough i think this is a defense that has a lot of different options um and my hope would be by the end of the season somebody st- jumps up and and you feel like hey this person's clearly the top player on defense because that player is kind of taking a stranglehold i think that's the thing that kind of stands out to me is like game to game it feels like a couple different guys can do it, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there, there doesn't feel like there's kind of that alpha superstar guy that we kind of thought there would be coming in. I'm going doorless as well. Um, I think because of how limited in opportunities Christian Gonzalez is, because of how good he is, because he doesn't get the ball thrown to him his way, I'm going to take doorless just because he has more opportunities to, to cause havoc in the game. And he's done that the last three weeks against Washington State, against Stanford, against Arizona. He's been in the opposing team's backfield. He's been breaking through the line of scrimmage multiple times. Um, I think he's been Oregon's best defensive player. Um, I know that he's like missed some sacks and some tackles in the backfield, but he's you know he's a big guy. He's gonna it's it's tough for that to happen sometimes. So I, I really like Dorless. I think he's really grown as a player this year. Um, I think he's really filled a need to be a pass rushing guy after the, the departure of Kayvon Thibodeau last season. Um, him and DJ Johnson have some real great moments together on that defensive front. Um, but I think this is, like Eric mentioned, this is a this is a tough one because there is no clear cut. Like, yeah, this dude has been just the best. Um, to me, I think it's doorless. I, I could. Like like Matt's pick and Gonzalez, he was the other guy I was considering just because of how good he's been at corner. Um, but someone like Bennett Williams or Jamal Hill, who's been really good this season but has not earned a lot of praise, um, I think there's a bunch of guys you could go with. But 
I'm going with Dorlis just because he plays an extremely important position and makes and does a great job of it. Yeah, I, I Dorlis was my other pick too. Um, and it's just I think it's so surprising that none of us really considered Sewell or Flo yeah. coming into this one. And I think they, that maybe speaks to just I don't know if disappointment's the right word, but just it's interesting. And I, I think we're learning more about this defense. Maybe, you know, maybe the statistical stats aren't, you know, at linebacker, they're just not, you know, a focal point for a Dan Lanning defense like you traditionally see. Uh, maybe they're doing other roles that, you know, we don't – there's no numbers to show if they're doing good or they're not doing good. It, it's it's just interesting that Sewell and Flo aren't in this kind of discussion because I think it, at the beginning of the year, if you said this and you didn't include one of them, it would be a pretty big shock. I think we picked both. I think those were yeah. our picks. Didn't we do a defensive MVP thing? I think we had. Yeah. I think we had Sewell or Flo from all of us basically. Yeah, yep. no, I agree. And, and, and like – I. I think the linebacker position's been a focal point of the defense. I just don't think they've been great, to be honest. Like, I, I think, I mean, it's not just that they lack the stats. It's, I think some of the reasons they lack the stats is they're just not making as many plays. And, and I, I, I already talked about the injury stuff because I do think that's a, a, certainly a compounding or a, a contributing factor, I should say. But I, I don't know. They've been a little underwhelming, and I'm hopeful that they get a little bit healthy this week, the bye week and they come back and they finish the season strong because they're going to need them. Especially against UCLA. Yeah, I think um, I think they're still one of the most talented groups on the team. I also think that opposing offenses have tried to just go right at their weakness, which is exactly what right. they should do. I mean, they're not going to run right at Noah Sewell and Justin Flo um, or Boss or the Duke because that's going to be their strength. Is just downhill downhill attacking from both the running back and the linebackers. And I'll take Sewell and Flo over probably ninety nine percent of all running backs in the in the Pac twelve at this point. But, yeah, they're just attacking them east to west, which is something that we we pointed out last season with with uh, Noah Sewell and his inability to, inability and pass coverage. I still remember watching that Fresno State game with Eric like on, on Sunday after it and just being like, oh, they're going at Sewell a lot. And that's what teams are doing this, this year too. So, um, yeah, I think it's disappointing that both of those guys aren't in contention. Um, and there's still, still six more games left in the regular season. So we'll see if they can make a return. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Look for another podcast later this week. And then, uh, hey, before you know it, we're going to be uh, previewing the big matchup, which could potentially have game day. It could potentially have Josh Payton town. It could potentially be two top 10 teams. Uh, the hype is going to be out of control for this one. So buckle up, get ready, relax this weekend. And get yourself ready for this upcoming football game. But until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.